0: or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life, and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. I am honored to serve as an overseer for Radiant Church, and uh, I'm always grateful for the times that I get to be here and uh, preach and come alongside you and. Um, but before I jump into the message, I just want to say how much I love David and Renata and their family, and uh, so grateful for the opportunity not just to be in communication and, uh, and, and friendship with David and Renata, um, to pray for them, but to pray for you. I want you to know that my, I, I pray for you uh, every, just about every day, um, and, and I want you to know that I believe in you and am excited for what God is and will do through this church. And um, if you're new here today or new-ish, um, I just want you to know that um, if you're looking for a church, you need to go no further. Um, because, because not only is this a great church, but it is led by some amazing people. And, um, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, I like this or I like that, and that's a, you know, he seems to be a good preacher or whatever. And it's another thing to know the quality and character of somebody's life over years. And I've known David and Renata now for a couple of decades. And, uh, and, and the character of their hearts and their lives is authentic and is legitimate. And so, um, so there's great, great leadership here. And I'm really grateful for them and grateful for what God is doing at Radiant. The future is Radiant. So uh, the other day, I was in the supermarket line, and uh, as is... Usual, there's magazines, and uh, I saw this magazine uh, right here. If you're further in the back, this is a men's workout magazine. Guy with his shirt off, and I thought, ah, I'd like to be more like that guy. You know, like I, I'd like to have more than one ab. You know, Um, this guy, might, I might not have as get as many as this guy, but maybe I'll have like, like more than my one. You know, so, so that would be good. I should exercise. Period. Uh, I, I, man, I should be more healthy. I should, I should go to the gym. I, man, I, yeah, I really want that. I really want to look more like this guy. That, I, I, that would be good for me. That would be healthy. Uh, and then right next to that, I, I saw this. <laughs> Taste and home. Comfort to share. Classic chicken and dumplings. Supreme pizza soup. Strawberry jam cake. <laughs> Berry desserts. Caramelized ham and Swiss buns. I think I want that. I really, really, really want that. Oh man, I want that. And I want this. I want, yes. I want them both, but I can't have them both. So I feel conflicted. Title of my message today is the war within. Because it might be in the supermarket line and maybe that's a little trivial. But there are significant conflicts and significant battles and wars going on within each one of us. Passions and desires fighting. And it might be like the battle and the desire to pray and immerse yourself in the scriptures. And the desire and the passion for another Netflix binge. It's the passion and the desire to be faithful to your spouse. And the passion or the desire to flirt with the new colleague. The passion or desire to be, have a house upgrade. You know, I need, I need my house to look like Chip and Joanna Canes. And the passion and the desire to be generous. The passion for integrity and the desire to get an A in that class and just copy a little bit of somebody else's work. The passion or the desire to have great kids and pour your best energies into your kids and your passion and desire to go golfing every weekend or go shopping or just more hours on Facebook. The desire for purity and the the desire... Or pornography. Or the battle over community. I need community. I need people in my life. And the passion and the desire to have no commitments and be tied down to nothing. These are the types of battles that are going on inside of each and every one of us. Our culture's response to these desires is be true to yourself. Follow your heart. You be you. The question is, which one? Which desire do I follow? (laughs) Because my desires seem to sometimes change every day. Let alone the desire I had 20 years ago. Different than the desires I have today. And I assume in 20 years from now, they might be different then than they are now. So which desire in the Incredibles movie, Syndrome, the Antagonist, it says you always tell us to be true to yourself, but you never said what part of yourself to be true to. In the West, in our culture, the the, the center of authority has changed to the self. It wasn't always that way. In the huge book, called The Secular Age. It's about a 1,000 pages. Before you think that I read it, I I, I read the summary, which is 100 pages, called How Not to Be Secular by James K.A. Smith. But he quotes Charles Taylor, and he says this, The West has changed from a culture of authority to a culture of authenticity. It used to be an external authority. God, the Scripture, parents, tradition, And now, though, it is internal and it is subjective. Find your truth. You be you. That's what our culture is saying we should do with all those desires, but Scripture says actually to deal with them differently. It talks about the war within us. And the Scripture identifies that as the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Now, Just for a a few working definitions throughout this message, let's define the flesh. In the scripture, the flesh does talk about like flesh and bones, you know, skin and hair follicles and capillaries and heart valves. That's true, that is the flesh. But there is another meaning for the word flesh, same Greek word. The Greek word is sarx, S A R X. But what in this battle, of the flesh and the spirit, the definition is the state of human beings that bend towards sin. A power in opposition to the spirit. Dostoevsky, writer of the Brothers Karamazov, says God and the devil are fighting and the battlefield is the heart of man. The battle between what I want and what God wants. For maybe any of you who have been around church for a little while, when he talks about the flesh, maybe you've heard the term the sinful nature. The Apostle Paul, writer of a gr- big portion of the New Testament, says it this way in Romans 7, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Does, anybody, does that resonate with any of you here? It resonates with me. I would love to be always kind, calm, full of love and graciousness and response to my kids. No matter what they do, no matter how much they fight or argue or become annoying, follow my instructions or not, I'm just a, a big bucket of patience and kindness and calmness. And yet I do what I hate doing, and that is snapping and barking and, and getting angry with my kids. Galatians chapter 5. I want us to spend some time in Galatians 5 today because Galatians 5 and into 6 talk about this war within between the flesh and the spirit. So starting in verse 13, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Galatia says, You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. The apostle Paul uses the word freedom. He starts this off by saying, you're called to be free. I think it's very important that we have a definition and specifically a biblical definition of freedom. The word free or freedom gets used a lot in our country. We are a free country and we need our freedoms and let's fight for our freedoms. And so I think it's really important that we define what Paul is talking about because it can be confusing if we don't get the right definition. Our cultural definition of freedom is doing whatever you want. Do whatever feels good to you. You be you. You, that's free. Live like that and you are free. Which then leads us to needing to define the opposite of freedom, which would be slavery or bondage. The Apostle Paul would define then the cultural, our cultural definition of slavery as not following your desires. Today, if you don't do what is in your heart to do, at the deepest core of what you want, people would say you're repressed or oppressed. Which is why there's so much encouragement to just do whatever feels good. You live your own sexual truth. And if anybody says anything different, that's oppression. But Paul says the opposite of indulging your flesh is serving others humbly in love. So therefore, the biblical definition of freedom is loving your neighbor as yourself. So, cultural definition of freedom, doing whatever you want. Biblical definition of freedom, loving your neighbor as yourself. Which means then that the biblical definition of slavery is living according to your passions and desires. Doing whatever you want. Which means to me that we need to be very aware of the difference of definition of the term freedom, because oftentimes the term freedom used liberally within our culture is not the same as what Jesus is calling us to when he says we're to live free. See, because doing whatever you want is not freedom. Doing whatever you want actually leads towards slavery. Slavery to your own passions and desires. We become slaves to the desires of our hearts. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, writer of a book called Making Sense of God, says freedom is not what the culture tells us. Real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms in order to gain others. It is not the absence of constraints... Doing whatever we want to do does not lead to freedom. It leads to less freedom as you become slave to your own desires. But it is the choosing the right restraints and the right freedoms to lose. For example, think of marriage. My wife and I have been married now for 26 and a half years, and, and we walk down an aisle of a church, 26 and a half years ago when we looked into each other's eyes and committed our lives to one another, what was I doing? What was she doing? We were giving up the freedom to go out and pursue and date anybody we wanted to. But in giving up that freedom, we gained safety, security, trust, intimacy. I was willing to, and we've been willing to give up that freedom in order to gain something of greater value. And if we don't do that, this is what Paul says will happen. Galatians 5, 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Indulging the flesh, doing whatever you want. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Hookup culture. I'll sleep with whoever I want to whenever I want to if that's what my greatest passion and desire is. Idolatry and witchcraft. Idolizing political ideologies or a politician or... Your own kids, or a picture of your family, and what it's supposed, what you want it to look like. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. You could replace all that with Facebook. <laughs> Envy, Instagram, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, Paul says that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's where the flesh will take us. And this is where the Spirit will take us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which one seems more appealing? A life of discord and factions and debauchery or peace love and goodness. That to me sounds more like the full life that God promises to us. So the question is, if there's got this war within, if the Apostle Paul had this war within him and we've got it in some form or another over who knows a myriad of things represented in this room, if it's there, and it's real, and Paul hates what he does, but he doesn't want to do that, and, and I'm feeling the same conflict, and uh, I want caramelized ham and Swiss buns and more than one ab. But how do we fight the flesh? Million dollar question. Dallas Willard, author, philosopher, wrote a lot about spiritual formation, says, we don't drift into discipleship. So Meaning, just because we're like, oh, I, I, want, I don't want to give myself over to the flesh, that's a great intention. It takes intentionality, though. Not just good intentions. See, if we could think our way into right living, we all would have already. There's more to it. Without a doubt, there's a battle that goes on in our minds. But there's more to it than just good thoughts. Galatians 5, continuing on, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have a bad taste for the flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus just don't like the flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have developed somehow some willpower. That's not what he says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. It's not willpower. It's not dislike. Paul is not messing around. It's crucifixion. Crucifixion, he says, is the answer. Which aligns with Jesus and what he says. He says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, become like me. They must deny themselves. Deny who? Deny yourself. What would constitute yourself? Passions and desires. Deny your passions and desires and pick up your cross and follow me. What is Jesus talking about? Dying. What's he talking about? Crucifixion. You might be like, well, I, thought, I thought Jesus died. He did. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, martyr in, the, after, in World War II, wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, when, a, when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids him come and die. He bids him to come and die in order to find life. But I I thought Jesus died so I don't have to. Without a doubt, Jesus died to forgive our sins and defeat death and overcome the enemy. He died to save us. But Jesus didn't go to the cross just so we don't have to. Jesus went to the cross to show us how to die. Every part of us He's not like, "Oh you know, just just kind of partially die." Yeah. One of the low points in church history was the 11 and 1200s, because it was in the 11 and 1200s when the Crusades happened. If anybody's unfamiliar with the Crusades, the Crusades were when Christians believed that the way to establish the kingdom of God and bring about God's desires and will in the world was through violence. Was through killing other people in the name of Jesus. To go to war in the name of Jesus. Essentially, doing the opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus said, Love your enemies, and instead, they somehow thought that he said, Kill their enemies. Low point in church history the military unit that would lead oftentimes into war were the Knights Templar, this kind of specialized Christian military prepared and ready for battle. And history has it that they would regularly, before they would go into battle, be baptized as a way of indicating their belonging to Jesus and doing this in his name. But when they were baptized, they would be baptized into the water, but they would hold their sword above the water. As if to say, not this, Jesus. Not this. Not, you can have it all, except my violence. You might think, that is so disturbing. And it is but I'm not convinced that we don't all do this in some form or another. It may not be a sword, but it might be a credit card. It may not be a sword, but it may be a relationship. It may not be a sword, but it might be a sexual ethic. It may not be a sword, but it could be a wound. It may not be a sword, but it could be an entertainment habit. It may not be a sword, but it could be our kids' activities or our schedule. It may not be a sword, but it could be a politician. It may not be a sword, but it could be our privilege. It may not be a sword, but it could even be a theological position. Not this, Jesus. Not this. Paul goes on in Galatians chapter six and he says, Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So the question today is, which one are you feeding? Are you feeding the Spirit or are you feeding the flesh? Which one are you starving? Are you starving the spirit or are you starving the flesh? Which one are you crucifying and which one are you feeding and bringing to life? God is inviting you and me today to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. In his letter to the Romans, Paul says in chapter 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions For the flesh. To gratify, it's what? Desires. So we've got to develop habits. Habits of regularly feeding the spirit and starving the flesh. I like to call them habits rather than oftentimes they get called spiritual disciplines. The reason is because because I think habits are practices or rhythms not for us to master, but for the spirit to inhabit. In other words, you can read your Bible like a crazy person, know a lot, and become prideful. You can feed your flesh by reading your Bible. Or you can read the Bible, open the scriptures, put yourself under it, and allow the spirit of God to feed you to shape you to bring revelation to nourish you convict you and the spirit of god can get fed we've got to develop habits in a world see, this topic by the way is not neutral if we don't do anything you know it is automatically getting fed our flesh We live in a world that is encouraging us. Feed the flesh. Do whatever you want. Do it. Do. Be yourself. Be true to yourself. That sounds right. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I mentioned him just a little bit ago. He was killed just right before the end of World War II. He's an author. One of the things that he did as well was train pastors. He, he He developed an underground seminary to train pastors. Now, this wasn't like your seminary. Like, oh yeah, I signed up for seminary and I've got church history class Monday at 9 a.m. and I've got systematic theology Tuesday at 2. They, they, they actually all lived together in one big house. And it was like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, seminary training. Some of Bonhoeffer's friends thought he was crazy. He's like, you're so extreme. Why are you being so extreme in trying to cultivate these pastors, I mean, can't you just like calm down a little bit? One of his friends came to see him, see what he was doing, and actually came to try to convince him to calm down. Calm down in his intensity of training for these, for these pastors. So when this guy came, he, he showed him around uh, the seminary house where they lived. It was in Finkenwald was the name of the little town or city that it was nearby. Showed him that. And as the friend started to talk to him about, like, can you just calm down a little bit? Bonhoeffer said, let me show you something. And he brought him to the top of this hill. And as he got to the top of the hill, he looked over the hill. And on the other side of this hill, down in the valley, was was this Nazi training camp for youth. Thousands of youth and all they're marching in order and and in in unison and chanting and and there was airplanes flying in and out off the airfield and next to that was piles of bombs and ammunition and and they're yelling and they're singing and they're chanting and they're marching and and he says, he points at Finkenwald. He says, this must be stronger than that. And he points at the Nazi training. Can I just say to you and to me, to every one of us, this, the feeding of the Spirit and what is being strengthened in each one of us has got to be stronger than that. That being The world in which we live. The narrative which is being fed on a regular basis. Do whatever you want. The spirit has got to be stronger than the flesh. So what does it look like? Habits. Habits like confession. For us to be able to acknowledge our own sin. Something that our world doesn't like to do. We like to talk a lot about self-esteem. Because we don't like to feel bad about ourselves in any way. oh, we'll avoid anything that makes us feel bad. And you're like, I don't like talking about confession. The goal is not for us to feel bad. God doesn't say, oh yeah, so wallow in your sin and wallow in your, wallow in your guilt. That's not what God is saying. It's not what confession is about. Confession is about acknowledgement of sin, which leads us to a place of cultivating humility and when we cultivate humility, the scripture says it welcomes grace. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I need as much grace as I can get, which means that I need to be quick to confess. Not so I can see guilt is not the end. Guilt is a vehicle. To reach the greater end, which is God in his grace. Cultivate the habit of confession. Cultivate the habit of prayer. Cultivate the habit of serving. Because we are supposed to serve one another humbly in love. means what does it look for, like for me to give up of my extra time? What does it look like for me to, to worship one and serve one? What does it look like for me to look around and find my neighbor in need? What does it look like for me not just to be focused on me? So serving is not just a, something we do. It's actually a habit that forms us and makes this stronger than that. I know that this, that 21 days of prayer and fasting just ended. Praise God for that. I mean, barbecue sauce, chicken nuggets, and cheesecake, caramelized ham and Swiss buns. Thank God Almighty. But do you know that fasting is not just for the first 21 days of the year? If this is going to be stronger than that... We need to develop and cultivate fasting lifestyles where maybe it's one meal a week. Maybe it's a couple of days a month. Can I make a confession to you? I hate fasting. We do 21 days of prayer and fasting at our church, and I hate it, and I love it, and I hate it. I, I think... I, I I, I mean, I I, I like it because it's godly. I like it because it's it's, but I I hate it because I love caramelized ham and Swiss buns. <laughs> I want it. I want to do that, but I don't. What does that sound like to you? That uh, sounds like the war within. I don't usually eat breakfast. I kind of have, I have coffee. I don't usually eat food until until lunchtime. That's just happens to be the way that I work. But when I decided I'm going to fast, which the scripture, whenever it talks about fasting, it always talks about going without food. So, you know, bless you who like stop social media for a day or two. That's good. But let's talk about what I think God's encouraging us to really do. Anyway, encouragement from your overseer, okay? But about 10 o'clock in the morning on a day when I'm saying, you know what? I'm going to go without food. I'm just going to drink water today. 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, I am dying. I am starving. What is going on? Why did you do this? This is a bad day. Choose another day. This is the wrong day. Two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like hallucinating. I'm like looking at my hand and I'm thinking, chicken fingers. Amazing. Amazing. And I'm like, God, I'm supposed to be thinking about you. And I can't, not stop think- I can't stop thinking about Chipotle and guacamole and my wife's cookies and milk and coffee and Mountain Dew and caramelized ham and Swiss buns and macaroni and cheese and burnt ends. Hmm. I love Kansas City. <laughs> and then dinner rolls around. I'm like, God, why are you torturing me like this? And then I, I sit there with my glass of water and I think, God, I love food. But God, I love you more. And I drink my water and I think, I really wish this was something else. But you're the living water. You are the bread of life. You are everything I need for life and godliness. You nourish my soul in the deepest places. God made us to want food. But fasting reveals what controls us and reminds us of who sustains us. I realize how addicted not just to brownies I am, addicted to me getting what I want I am. God gave us a natural desire to want food in order to nourish the bodies that he made and gave to us. So it's natural for us to want it. So for us to say no to it is a significant change to what's natural. But what I have learned is if I have the ability to say no to food, natural desire, I also am then cultivating the ability to say no and abstain from other desires. Maybe that desire for one more click on the internet, the desire for one more drink, the desire for one more flirtatious interaction, that one more desire for just a little bit of extra information from my friend who's done the work and written the paper already. I don't know what it is for you, but God is calling us to strengthen the ability to say no and abstain from our desires. And this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter six, verse nine, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Is he saying don't give up if you're running a marathon? That's not what he's talking about. When he says don't give up, he's saying don't give up on feeding the spirit and starving the flesh. Don't give up. Don't go through 21 days and say, I still have the same desires. I don't know. I still want it. I guess that didn't work. Don't give up. Don't get weary in doing good. Don't get weary in cultivating those habits. Don't get weary in confessing. Don't get weary in serving. Don't get weary in fasting. Don't get weary in coming to a prayer meeting. Don't get weary because at the right time you will produce a harvest of what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You'll look around at yourself and be like, dude, what are those? Look at that hanging off. My kids just went nutso and I just was kind? What just happened? Maybe it's because for four years, <laughs> you just didn't give up And confession. God, I'm so sorry that I stabbed my kids like that And grace. And before you know it, you start to become gracious. Don't give up. Don't quit starving the spirit, starving the flesh and feeding the spirit. I don't know what maybe habit God is calling you into, but will you take some time this week to ask God? There's a, there's a list of 100. Uh, you, there, you go on forever about the habits you could cultivate. But maybe there's one or two that God is really calling you into that's going to help this be stronger than that. Would you just spend some time with God this week? What's your specific next step that the Holy Spirit is leading you into? What is he calling you to be committed to and faithful to and not growing weary, not giving up, believing that in due time you will reap a harvest? For others of you, maybe your next step is to give up your life, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. It is to surrender your freedom to gain true freedom. To say, I am no longer going to be the leader of my life, Jesus is. Which may, to our flesh, feel like that sounds like a bad choice. I'm gonna give up what I wanna do, let somebody else lead my life. But the reality is, in surrendering our freedom, we gain true freedom. We give our life away, And we get God's life. Can I just say, that is the best trade you could ever make in your life. It is unfair, in our favor. You give your life away, God gives us his. We give up our power, we get the Spirit's power. So if that's you here today, would you just under your breath say, God, I give you my life. It's not the only thing you need to say to God, but it's an amazing first thing to say to God. To begin a journey of surrender, to begin a journey of dying in order to experience full and true life. For some of you, maybe the the habit or the commitment you need to step into is community. See, because even though the war is within and internal, the scripture says that we're not to fight it alone, we don't fight our battles by ourselves. The enemy wants us to be in isolation, think we're the only one, and try and fight it in our own strength. Not only are we to partner with the Holy Spirit, we also need one another to pray for one another, to strengthen one another, to believe in one another, to surround one another. So maybe your step is to step into a small group here in a couple of weeks. might scare you out of your mind, but maybe it's the most important thing this to be stronger than that. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. And we want to be people that walk in step with the Spirit of God. We want to be people that produce a harvest in good time, in due time. So, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray for each and every person in this room. Would you strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to starve the flesh and feed the Spirit? To crucify our sinful nature. To embrace a definition of freedom that is about serving others, not about serving ourselves to love our neighbors as ourselves, God, we need you. Desperate for your power. And we can feel it just like Paul describes the tension and the, I want to, but I don't want to. God, would you help us in those moments to reach out to strong and trusted friends, engage and look to the Holy Spirit to not only stand up in those moments, but would you also, by the Spirit of God and with others, help us to step into the habits that will cultivate the right things in our lives in order to produce the fruit that you've called us to produce. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We need you. This we pray in the powerful, life-transforming name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. In Radiant Church, let's stand on our feet. First, can we just honor Pastor Aaron? What an incredible Amen. word. Amen. Such a great word. Radiant, before we give, let me just pray for you. Jesus, we, we thank you so much for Radiant Church, God. God, and even though the message that Aaron just shared, God, we pray that our you would help us grow our spirits. God, that our inner man will become stronger. God, and we would develop the habits. To develop our spirit man inside of us, Jesus. God, and as our spirits grow stronger, we would have the strength to say no to the cultural ideas. In Jesus' name.